right, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. And um, we are between and betwixt uh, one happy celebratory day, uh, but also one very haunting and mournful day. Um, so we're going to kind of do what we're good at in New Orleans, and that is mourning and celebrating as um, – Irma Thomas, who is going to be on in the second half of the show, um, talking about her music and her thoughts and views of life and motherhood, because you know she owns Mother Day, right? She is uh, numero uno at 2 o'clock at the Audubon Zoo, where she does her big celebration every year. 36 years. I don't think there's anybody... I think she's probably some world record or at least national record for somebody who actually does the show over and over again every year. But that's, that's, that's Irma. She just has that pull. And I asked her, she, she likes to take requests from mothers. I said, well, what are they requests? She said, you know, all those good old standards of hers. Um, but so, what she was saying is that, you know, we celebrate here everything. We celebrate death. Um, I'm not in a very celebratory mood about a death that just recently occurred. Uh, you may have heard of it slightly in the news. It was about a young man who was killed uh, in a motorcycle accident on Elysian Fields last Friday. And um, I got a call uh, one evening over the weekend uh, from his mother, Monica Miller, a friend of mine, who said, that kid who was killed on Elysian Fields was her son, Jacob Gray, who I just can't tell you how special a guy he was. He was a sweet, creative, warm person who had big dreams. He was going into a UNO engineering program. He's been an artist most of his life. And my husband and I, Bob Tannen and I, have mentored him over the years, so it was heartbreaking to get that news. So it really um, motivated me to think about the issue of motorcycles and how people use them, ride them, uh, both with their own safety in mind and with the safety of other people around them in mind. And I live on Esplanade, and I, I see the... Guys who come whizzing down the street on their motorcycles, popping and speeding. Um, and then I heard one guy got killed at Elysian, at rather Esplanade and uh, Wisner. And I was um, thinking that could have been easily one of these kids that I've watched speed up and down Esplanade, which really has always worried me that somebody's going to get killed. And I saw an accident at CBD once. I saw... Um, a guy who was whizzing past me, next thing I know, I come up to the corner and he had crashed. And I don't know what his condition was and what happened to him. I um, invited Kevin Larman to join me today. He is a personal injury lawyer who specializes in motorcycle um, situations, let's say, for the moment. Uh, and he works with a, a, a group of uh, motorcycle lawyers around the country called Law Tigers. Um, I, I really want to explore and understand what can, we can do about the risk-taking 
is, is how I would say it, of younger people, which they'll do anyway, but if they happen to also ride and be bikers, then they're taking that teenage risk-taking instinct, and, and not just teenage, but young 20s and young 30s, out on the street. How do we, what, what is the remedy? What, how do we, you know, do, you know, one of the things that they've done for folks who do all this um, skateboarding is create skateboard places where kids can skateboard and not be out in the middle of the street and, and risk themselves and others. Uh, what, 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 what are y'all thinking about? Well, uh, first of all, Jean, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I am uh, affiliated with a law firm uh, doing business as Kirkendall Dwyer, and they have launched a uh, motorcycle injury platform here in Louisiana starting about three weeks ago. Uh, it's under the name Law Tigers. And uh, it's a nationwide uh, marketing uh, platform. And, you know, the issues you raise are, are very complicated, and I've seen it from, from several different angles. Um, I do a lot of traffic work here in the city, and the traffic work is um, uh, what you see is you see people who uh, drive reckless, uh, have suspended license. Uh, I do a lot of personal injury work where you have to pick up the pieces uh, after someone makes a mistake, whether it's the person uh, on the motorcycle or the person that caused the, the motorcycle accident. And uh, I've given a lot of thought of this, thought of thought to this, especially since we are um, launching this platform. And uh, it's awareness, number one. Uh, I don't know why you can't um, go back and uh, start with driver's ed with a five-minute uh, motorcycle awareness clip to complement uh, what young prospective uh, licensees uh, already learn. Uh, I don't know why you can't, um, because the, the consequences are so severe when you uh, either cause an accident involving a motorcycle or you're in an accident involving a motorcycle. I don't know why the statutory penalties can't be um, a, a little more um, consistent with the potential risk. And i give you an example. Um, I do a lot of traffic work, and uh, when people have a suspended license, um, eventually they've got to come back and clear that issue up. Uh, they're going to be looking over their shoulder constantly driving on a suspended license because you can get arrested if you drive with a suspended license. And a lot of times employers now run driver's license, and if you don't have a valid driver's license or it's suspended, you've got to clear that defect. So uh, if you if you are involved in a situation where you abuse that privilege, uh, it would be uh, uh, very uh, simple in, in my mind to increase the statutory penalties. And I'll give you an example. Twenty years ago, DWIs were nothing more than a careless operation. Now a DWI is a very serious offense. And if you abuse that privilege, you will be locked down. You will be arrested. Uh, you'll have to go through the judicial system. There's no easy out. You'll have a fine. You have to uh, do community service. Uh, you have to um, attend a MAD impact panel. Uh, you you have to put an interlock uh, device on your car potentially. So um, I don't know if there's any easy solution. It's very complicated. Uh, it's a behavioral issue. When I see people abuse motorcycles on the streets of New Orleans, uh, and it's been in the news frequently about these groups that ride recreational vehicles 
on the city streets. The, the one thing I think is is that that's an improper equipment violation. That's probably Oh, so those uh, – uh, you know, I forgot totally. You're absolutely right. Most of these kids on Esplanade are on uh, recre- RVs as opposed vehicles. to – it's a mix, RVs and motorcycles, right. yeah. The point is, is that – but when the you, RVs aren't supposed to be on the street. Is right, that what you're that's saying? That's right, right. But oh, the point, the point, I didn't know that. Well, the point is is that when somebody gets pulled over in a recreational vehicle, and I don't second-guess the police at all. They're doing a fine job here in the city, and I'm sure they're overwhelmed with everything they're dealing with. But my point to you is is that the appropriate ticket under the circumstances is probably improper equipment, failure to have the, the proper registration, failure to have headlights. My point is is that if you abuse a recreational vehicle on the streets of the city of New Orleans – there should be stiffer penalties. And, I got uh, it. And the, the real uh, stick, uh, if you will, is threatened to suspend their license. Uh, you know, like I said, I do a lot of traffic work, and I find that people who deal with suspended license issues, at some point they must come back and deal with that issue. That's the teeth. So um, it's complicated. It's sad. Uh, I've been in, involved in all kinds of situations where uh, nobody wins, and that's the real, real problem. So, so um, uh, one thing I, I I've been wondering about is um, uh, what what's, what are the stats? What are the stats on on um, uh, uh, deaths and on um, physical uh, injury that is life changing? Well, I know that there are uh, between 800 and 900 motorcycle accidents in the state of Louisiana on well, a yearly basis. Per year, per yes. year. I know so that did you say 800 to 900? 800 to 900. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say 833, but I'm not exactly sure. Okay. I know that Jefferson Parish has the highest rate of motorcycle accidents in Louisiana, followed by Lafayette and Lake Charles. Uh, I also can tell you from personal experience that when someone does have an accident, there's no minor motorcycle accident. They're That's all, very interesting. They're all major. So give me an example. I mean, I, I don't want to get gory here, but I do. I want I want people to hear what happens if a kid is in, a kid, any kind of person is in a motorcycle accident. Well, um, it's trauma. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of broken bones, a lot of... Uh, injuries to internal organs, things that you can't uh, mend easily. So, so so someone who's in a motorcycle accident is going to wind up, at the very least, with a very long recovery. That's correct. And, and all the issues that and go with And at worst, that. they can wind up in a wheelchair for the rest of their lives. Sure. And, you know, traumatic brain injuries now um, – are very serious, and that will set you back uh, not only financially, forever. but you're right. It changes you forever. I'm going to ask Nancy to come on the phone now because I don't want to keep her waiting too long. Um, Nancy works with your organization, um, uh, Law Tigers, and um, she uh, has a young man. She's a writer, and uh, she has a son who is a writer, and when she first gave him a bike when he was young, Nancy, pick it up from there. <laughs> hello. Um, hi. Hey, and Nancy. Yes, thank you for asking me to come in here. Um, and hi, Kevin. <laughs> um, yes, uh, well, he 
he was 19 and I had already, I had already been riding a few years and I, I was never really much into the sport bike, but, um, I'm always intrigued by any bikes for that matter. Cause I just love to ride, but my son, um, decided he was interested in wanting to ride. And so I told him if he would take the safety course, I would look at getting him a motorcycle. Well, he took the safety course. And of course, I knew he would pass it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be protected out there or safe, or it just gives them a base to start with, to know what the laws are, what you, what you're, um, you're required to do. Riding a motorcycle isn't, you know, that's not a given. That's a privilege. And to abuse that is just, it, 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 me off. And so my son, I got him a motorcycle and um, he had it for about six months. And after several tickets um, and then the, the stories and things of running around with um, kids that other kids that were doing tricks on the road and on the street, it really, it, it bothered me so much. I, I went to him one day and I said, give me the keys. And he goes, what? And I said, give me the keys. He goes, mom. And I said, Not, no, I, I said, you, you have, you don't respect the road. I said, you don't even respect riding. I said, it, there is a place for that kind of stuff. It's cool that you can do tricks. You know, I, I love watching the tricks, but I, there's places for that. There's, there's tracks, there's competition for things like that but not on the street. I mean, you're not only endangering yourself, you're endangering others that may be trying to avoid you and could cause them to die, you know, have a bad, you know, a horrible accident where they will be the ones not to survive. So I took the keys and I sold the motorcycle. Um, I told him I basically had bought him a coffin on wheels because he didn't respect it. Um, he doesn't own one now, but I'm not to say I'm not going to say he wouldn't ride again. But he doesn't own a motorcycle at this time. But I really think it made him think about it. Um, I think it it takes more than just the kid um, or the or even an adult, because I know of some adults that race around on these bikes on any bike, whether it be a street bike or a cruiser. Um, People need to make sure they bring it to those attention that you know we want to be we want to share the road with a with a with a car and we want them to respect us and the only way we're going to get that kind of respect is to operate and function like you know like we should. Um, I know there's cases out there where it was unprovoked where a car has has actually hit a motorcyclist. Um, but those those aren't as often as um, as an accident where someone has either they have not they don't see us. Um, so. I think what you mentioned, Kevin, about going back to the basics, like in you know you know you know what you think about when we're when we're kids, we we don't get told watch for motorcycles when we're little watch, going out to the street. People always say watch for cars, watch for cars, watch for trucks. Nobody ever mentions that when we're young. I think if people instill that, the more when people when when we're young, as we grow up, we're going to pay attention more. Make, make I mean, it a part of the driver's ed package. Yeah, uh, I mean something. Uh, they've gotten really. Uh, uh, they focused a lot on 
trying to educate these kids in all aspects of operating a motor vehicle, and that should be one. And that's really what we do, Gene, um, is it's, it's awareness and it's education, and it's wrapped into uh, uh, the Law Tigers marketing brand. So, so one of the other things I've seen, I, I mentioned that I, I watch these kids on, on – you know, Super Sundays on all the, the Sundays when we have second lines. And I live in Treme, so that's that's a second line central. And so I see this just about every Sunday, and it, it scares the hell out of me, quite frankly. But um, I also sometimes will be on the interstate, and some motorcycle will come zooming, weaving in and out of the cars, and that freaks me out too. That's a different kind of of process. I don't, I'm not sure what's going on there. Hey, I can go fast and I can get around you. You know. The only thing that you can do in in that instance, because it's a behavioral issue, is uh, there should be a higher statutory penalties for someone who puts themselves at risk on a motorcycle and others around them. Okay. And I can't think of a better way yep. than to, to suspend the license. And while you're talking about the group that rides and does wheelies on the expressway and all that stuff, there's been a lot of uh, publicity about these uh, African-American female riding groups. I think they're the Caramel Cruisers. I, you know, I tried to get one of the Caramel Cruisers on the show, and I, I, I think she got turned off when I told her that my husband wants to lower the speed limit in New Orleans. Well, I can tell you that there's no, <laughs> there is no better role model than, than that group for, uh, for all of us. And, in fact, I'm going to go down there and reach out to her. I may have my nails done, actually. True. She does huh? nails. True is her name. Right. True. I really wanted you on the show. I'll get you on another time. There is no better. And I, I, I mean, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up when I read those articles. It's a wonderful uh, postcard for the city of New Orleans, and they're great role models. Yeah. And, and, and maybe um, – I, I can I can see you do some kind of if you got this platform get them on your platform now when you talked about your platform I want to understand better what the platform how that works what's going to be on it Nancy you've been well, doing this longer I mean, than I have we are about safety if you if every time I anytime I run into anyone that's on a motorcycle I mean we're about safety about making sure you take care of your motorcycle we we don't want to have to represent somebody for a motorcycle accident whether it's from them doing something wrong or someone hitting them. We would rather them have the, have the knowledge of being aware, like he was saying, yes, awareness. Uh, being always on, you have to be even twice, three times over watchful because people don't see us as easily. And so we want people to know about, you know, make sure you have appropriate riding gear. Do not ride in flip-flops and shorts and you know, um, have something a little bit more protective road, you know, roading, road riding gear, um, helmet. Oh my gosh. Yes. Helmet. Um, it's not going to prevent every single type of accident, but nine times out of 10, I think it's going to keep that head on your shoulders and in one piece. And, um, and so what we started to do here, uh, like, uh, Kirk and Dwyer's done in, other states and Law Tigers has done all over the country as we run commercials, we have billboards, and there's a whole support component to this. We have a gentleman who's a former Harley Davidson manager who works for us here in New Orleans and in uh, on the North Shore, and he has a van. He's a mechanic. One of the things we'd like to do is support local riders anywhere we can. We can carry food and water for him, and again, he's a mechanic. So we're just starting this platform, but the, the basic uh, fundamental aspect of it is uh, is safety, ride safe, and uh, we're here when we uh, when we're needed, 
and it's it's a niche it's a niche market and the uh, as you can tell from from speaking with Nancy the people that uh, we have on board are um, are great uh, we went to Phoenix recently and I met the other lawyers I met um, a, uh, a a veteran who travels across the country and and, and does TBA TBI awareness events and gives away motorcycles uh, from the dealerships to um, veterans who have TBIs. He's affiliated with us. So, tra- traumatic brain injuries. So there's a whole there's a whole uh, host of support here. It's the lawyers. It's the marketing people like Nancy. It's the websites that um, that highlight the, the the pros and the cons. Education awareness. It's the whole package, and that's why I wanted to get involved. Motorcycle riders are are passionate. And let me give an example. Um, we recently got a call involving someone whose son was unfortunately killed in Georgia, and he was a New Orleans resident. And this is what struck me about this entire situation. I went in and I met with the family, wonderful people, salt of the earth. I pull up, the grandfather's polishing his Harley Davidson. Okay, he's two days, two days from putting his grandson in the, in, in the ground. In the ground, and he's polishing his Harley Davidson. I go and I meet with the family, the nicest people you ever want to meet. They live in the point, Algiers Point. I read this kid's obituary, and I told the, the family this. I said, I've never seen a an obituary for someone who unfortunately died in a motorcycle accident. Every other word is how much he enjoyed riding his motorcycle. Mm-hmm. These are passionate people. It's a niche lifestyle, and we're here to do whatever we can do from A to Z. Nancy um, uh, was telling me um, how much she loves to ride. That's the that's the other side of the coin. That, uh, as you say, riding is. I, I've been on a motorcycle a few times in college. Uh, I'm too risk averse. It's it's not for me. But it it is <laughs> thrilling and beautiful because you are basically out in the landscape, you know, with nothing between you and it. And the wind is blowing in your hair and the whole thing. It's and it's and it's kind of sexy. There's no getting away from it. Um, so I kind of have a feel for why people love it. But Nancy, why do you love it? You know, I I, I guess there's a free feeling. I mean, there's just you're not. I, 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 it's hard to describe. <laughs> I mean, you smell, you you literally smell, feel, whether good or bad in the sense. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. I said, we smell everything. Um, so there's just nothing like going like up into the mountains or on a country road, and you you literally see more than you see when you're inside of a vehicle. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I don't know how to describe that other than you just see everything. Um, yeah, I, I I know what you mean. Um, that that's exactly uh, how I recall the few rides that I had um, uh, on it. Uh, and of course, I was on the motorcycle with some, you know, gorgeous guy <laughs> <laughs> who um, I was happy to be uh, um, riding with. But because I wasn't, I, I think one time I actually was, you know, sort of somebody tried to get me to actually, you know, run the. Run the bike. I, I don't remember how I did. I, probably not very well. But um, yeah, I can see it, and and um, I think that if somehow there was more of an emphasis on that kind of an experience as opposed to the acrobatics, it would it would do us well. 
Yeah, and something's got to be done about that. And and like I said, it's a statutory penalty issue. Uh, I, I read the I read read the law today. What I find is interesting is is that it's a lot of the law is very complicated, but there's also a rural component, a, uh, a rural a rural, rural. component. Mm-hmm. Riding an ATV from one sugar cane field to the other, so they can ride on the side of the highway. All that's rooted in the farming, uh, uh, Louisiana farming culture. Uh, and if they even mentioned farming in the, in the revised statutes in the law. So uh, then you have the golf cart issue. You know, again, a recreational vehicle that either should or shouldn't be on the road, and it has to be modified to be on the road. But people who abuse motorcycles are no different than people who abuse cars, unfortunately. Their injuries are far worse. And going back to what Nancy said, when I met with this family who was in New Orleans who unfortunately lost their son in Georgia, I didn't know this family. I didn't know anything about him. When I read the obituary and met with the father, I told the father he was free on his bike. And he said, you're right. It's freedom. It's freedom. He had lost a leg in a motorcycle accident three years ago, and he got back on his bike. He had it modified so that he could use the throttle electrically Mm. on the right throttle. He was free. He was free on that motorcycle. So the young man who prompted me to do this story, in addition to, again, the guys on Esplanade who drive me nuts because it's just so scary sounding. Talk about know. risk takers. Oh, talk about risk takers. Yeah. No, it's, it's very scary. Um, but this young man, Jacob Gray, I am going to conclude, we're just about out of time, with um, – calling his name because he was uh, such a special young man. He just was very, very special and, and warm and, and certain kind of softness to him. And so it was shocking for me to get the call from his mother. I just It just blew me over that, um, that Jacob Gray, of all people, was killed in a motorcycle accident. So it, it, it comes back to what you were saying about the young man and the family that you saw. Uh, it, it, there's no typecasting that would be fair for people who like to ride, mm-hmm. other than, as you say, that that desire for that experience of freedom. And as Nancy was talking about, the the experience of being, you know, the smell, the mountains, the country, um, seeing everything in a way that you don't see it in the car. But um, I am so sorry that we have lost um, Jacob. Monica, I'll make sure you get a chance to hear this. We do post this on our podcast, Crosstown Conversations, and you can find it on YouTube. So um, I'll, I'll hope that you see it. And by the way, we have something a little special for you. I haven't been able to talk to you this week, but um, I want you to know that uh, – for Mother's Day. Check in with us. Um, thank you guys thank you. for being on. And um, stay with us, please, on this. And find out what the police and the city are doing. Because I understand there's some kind of a discussion going on about addressing these issues. So uh, if this is something you're involved in, you, you, you need to know I, what they're I doing. I will follow up on that, and I will come back that with, sounds a, great. With, a car, with a caramel cruiser. How about that? Please bring true. <laughs> I, 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 I tried to talk true I'm, into it. I'm going to drag think, one down here. All right. You need to have her on your platform, too. Uh, that would be aunts. great. We've already talked about that. I have to go yeah. in and meet her and get Definitely. my nails done. She does nails. I know. All right. I don't know. You're intriguing me to want to ride all the way over there now. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you in town here. I'm sure sometime, Nancy. And thank you so much for facilitating uh, us being able to do this, uh, this talk.
Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, guys. And, um, okay, stand by a minute now. Uh, I just want to say, um, Irma Thomas, queen of the city music scene for as many years as I've been here, and um, queen of Mother's Day, two o'clock at Audubon, and she's coming on in just seconds. We're going to push the button, and you're going to hear the interview that I did earlier today when she visited me at my home, which was a delight. All right. So it is um, a few days before Mother's Day. And if you think of Mother's Day in New Orleans, it's hard to think of it without thinking of Irma Thomas. Because for a couple decades at least... This is coming up on the 36th year. 36 years. (laughs) She has been doing the Mother's Day celebration at Audubon Zoo. I mean, that is an incredible record. I doubt in many parts of the world there is someone who has been the mainstay of a major event for 37 years. Account for that, please. Now, this is 36 years this year, and I have two more years on my contract. (laughs) What started out to be an invitation to moms to bring families in to see the new things that had been done to Audubon Zoo to give them a look at what had the improvements that had been made at that time, which was 36 years ago. And it went over so well, uh, Mr. Foreman decided, well, okay, we'll try it again. And each year it got bigger and bigger, so he said if it wasn't broke, he wasn't fixing it. So I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> what, what, what do you do special, if anything, for it? Or is it essentially a classic Irma Thomas performance? It's a classic Irma Thomas performance. I allow moms to make requests. And I do that on all my shows as far as that's concerned. But that day moms are allowed to make requests. And those songs that I know I do and the ones I don't know, I tell them I don't know them and we choose something else. And the ones I only know parts of, I sing the parts I know and we play musical assistant with the rest of it. Right, right. <laughs> what, what, what do they request most? Believe it or not, a lot of my early songs, like It's Raining, Ruler My Heart, I Done Got Over, Hip Shaking, Mama, Don't Mess With My Man, all of the early things that I did, I wish someone would care, the songs I did back in the 60s. But you're picking up young audience, too, because I know you had a big crowd out at the fair uh, at the uh, Jazz Fest, and the Jazz Fest is really attracting the whole <laughs> range of ages. Well, they, they've started bringing in a lot of the, the, I would call them the new age acts and some of us who've been around since Mud as well. And a younger crowd is getting introduced to where all the music started at, started from. A lot of these new hip-hop groups are covering and sampling a lot of the old music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And these young, younger people are coming to Jazz Fest to see where it all started and get the real thing. And so, yes, it, it, it creates a new audience for me. I, I've I've heard this before, and I had Leo Nocentelli on last week, and he was talking about all the sampling that's being done of his work, and so if this is a common thread. Um, uh, I, I guess another thing is that a lot of people don't realize how seminal New Orleans music has been, not just from jazz, but from R&B, from funk, from now, of course, bounce, sissy bounce. We, we we create totally new sounds, don't we? I say we like I have some right <laughs> no, to say we. Here, so you live here, so you're part, you're part of the atmosphere that, that is creative in New Orleans. 
Uh, yes, New Orleans has been a, a leader in a lot of musical uh, genres, and we're not given credit for it in many cases. But Motown, I'm yeah, told, oh Lord, originated yeah. in yeah. New Orleans, and nobody knows that. They, they came here when they was just formulating that company, and they, they borrowed drummers, they borrowed bass players, and, and various musicians to learn their craft. And what they didn't realize is that you, if you weren't raised in New Orleans and you didn't understand the, the backbeats that are, that are common with New Orleans musicians, it ain't going to happen. So they did their version thereof. <laughs> so I listen to music all the time that I, that I know they're trying to do the New Orleans beat, and I can tell from the first four or five beats that they are not, not from yet. here because they can't do it. They just cannot do it. I tried to explain that to a drummer in a recording session one time, and it just he just did not get it. I, he, I, the more I tried to explain, the less he understood. So I said, okay, just play it the way you feel it. And I left him alone with it. <laughs> and it, it, as it turned out, the song that we were recording to me, to my it wasn't, I didn't like it because it, it didn't have the feeling that I was trying to get. And it, it was missing something. So, but you know, uh, unless you're born and raised, not so much born and raised, but if you're just raised in the city, because I wasn't born in New Orleans, I was born in Ponchatoula, Louisiana. But I grew up in New Orleans around music that was around me every day. There was always something going on. Uh, children could go in bars back then. And whenever my mother couldn't find me, she could find me standing by the jukebox in somebody's bar room, which was near <laughs> our home. But, you know, it's just an infectious thing and it's inbred in you. So unless you grew up in the city, it's kind of hard to explain that beat. And, and it, even if it's written down and the drummer can read music, he still doesn't play it with the same feeling that a New Orleans drummer and bass player are able to put those extra beats and extra notes. They just don't get it. And not only that, but I always love to see, including myself, a reformed Yankee, try to dance it. <laughs> and I mean, I can approximate it, but yeah, you can yeah. tell from watching me, yeah. I'm not from here. Well, there's a lot of folks who are from here that can't dance, so that really is not a good judge of where you're from or how you know how you were raised. I mean, everyone doesn't have that same rhythmic, you know, uh, ability, but. Nevertheless, you understand it a, a lot better than most because you've been here long enough and been around it long enough to understand what it is. And it's just that little extra something that goes into the music that you don't hear in any music anywhere else. I would dare say that Louisiana in general understands that extra beat because we are a state of, of uh, various ethnic groups and various uh, uh, people who came here and settled in and we borrowed a little bit of their music and they borrowed a little bit of ours and it, it, Louisiana is truly a gumbo state when it comes to music and arts for that matter. You know, I just can't resist dropping this little pearl of wisdom I picked up just recently. And who knows if it's true because, you know, there's so many myths and you have to pick and choose between them. But the latest thing I heard was that the um, Native Americans here called sassafras combo, K-O-M-B-O. And the theory of the writer that I was reading was that that word is the origin of the word gumbo, which a lot of people assume, as I did, was an African-American word. Mm -hmm. But um, he says sassafras, which is what you use to make filet, mm -hmm. is called by the Native Americans in this region combo. Mm -hmm. How about that? Well, I, I would go along with that. That's, that's believable, truly believable. They were here first. <laughs> <laughs> right. The other myth that I heard um, not too long ago was 
the definition of the word lanyap. So a lot of us take it to be a French word, and it's not. It's a Central American Indian word that came up from, like, the Cuevas is a tribe mm -hmm. from, uh, like, around Panama and down there, mm -hmm. and that uh, that's where that word comes from. I don't know about that. I haven't been able to, you know, get a lot of verification on that, but that's what I hear. <laughs> let, me, let me talk. Uh, we're talking sort of roots, right? And we're mm -hmm. talking um, roots and today. A lot of folks are worried about New Orleans and whether we're going to retain the full character of the city because of all of the displacement of people and the introduction of new people. I'm not against new people. Uh, I am against displacement. And I'm, I'm wondering how you feel about how this is going to go. It's not. Uh, I'm finding, and I don't do a lot of socializing outside of home because I'm getting older now and I can't make all these various clubs and what have you. Uh, I find it difficult in that even though I appreciate the young people moving into the city and uh, not so much the young people, but those folk who decide to come to New Orleans and make New Orleans their home, they're not open to accepting the culture of New Orleans. I have a major problem with people who decide they want to live in the French Quarter, but they don't want the music to play in the French Quarter. Well, then you shouldn't have moved in the French Quarter because music is going to be 24-7. In recent years, they don't do it 24-7 because a lot of the musicians can't keep up that long. But it has been a place of music 24-7. And yes, out musicians play outside on the streets because that's a lot of way that a lot of them make their living. So if you're going to live in a city where music is a viable entity to income and economics, then pick another city because New Orleans is going to be New Orleans no matter what. Because of what has happened to New Orleans, yes, a lot of the, the, the people who love and have grown and have flourished and have built New Orleans was displaced. So it'll never be the same. But I think in spite of the new people who are coming in trying to change it, it won't change because the us who are stubborn won't let it. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna accept that. Um, I am gonna uh, sort of disagree with you just a little bit um, about the people coming here and whether they're accepting and being a part of the culture because I've watched some of these young, um, we call them newbies, newbies, okay, <laughs> in, that have moved into you know Bywater and and uh, Lower Ninth Upper Ninth Ward mm -hmm. and even the Seventh Ward now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I can't quibble with the fear of gentrification and the rise of prices and how that's affected oh, us. That's, that's what I really am afraid of. Mm -hmm. But as far as I'm accepting the culture, when you see them out there with their little Mardi Gras crews, you know, like <laughs> petite little teat wrecks with little teeny floats like wrecks going down the street or – um, I forget the name of the one that has bicycles where they ma they make like floats out of oh, the yeah. paper mache, yeah, the same yeah, as the big floats. Yeah. Um, I, I think they actually embrace and integrate the culture into their work remarkably fast. Well, the the younger generation, yes, uh, I find that they well, you know, young people love parties. And I don't care where they're from. They, they're going to party. They're going to find a way to party. And when they come to New Orleans, New Orleans has its own unique way of partying. And I always tell strangers who are not from here, we have Mardi Gras every day. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'm, and, and the people that I'm speaking of, a few, they're in the minority of folk who are not accepting or trying to blend in or trying to, to learn the culture of the city. They just want to live in New Orleans and say that they live in New Orleans. 
when you know just living in New Orleans is not going to be it. You have to be a, become a part of New Orleans in order to be happy here. I mean, we are who we are, and we're not changing no time soon. We'll we'll have to be one of those situations where they say they're going to have to die off before we can change them. Then you're going to have to live a long time because we're bringing up the little ones. We're teaching the little little ones, the babies. You can see some babies even when they're in the cribs, in their cribs, bouncing <laughs> in time with the music. So you're going to have to be around a long time before that will die out. But I'm speaking of the minority people who come in, not not minority in terms of color, but age-wise who yep. want to come in and want to make this their their what retirement escape home. Yeah. escape but you can't come to new orleans and escape from anything <laughs> because even us old folks party you know we we may not be able to shake our tail feathers like we used to but we can still wiggle them a little bit and as long as we can we will so you may as well as they say if you if you can't beat them join them you may as well join us because we're not going to change we we party for every situation. The only the only festival we haven't created yet is called a headache. <laughs> because we celebrate during everything you can yeah. think of, you know. Yeah. So it, it New Orleans is always gonna be the New Orleans that we we grew up in in our mind and in our hearts. We just hope that others who come here uh understand that and accept us for who we are. We are a people who celebrate. And no matter what the occasion, we celebrate. We celebrate death, and very few cities can do that and do it in a very, uh, what's the word I'm searching for? A very uh, classy way. You know, we know we know how to send somebody home. What we call their home going, and we know how to accept them when they're born. So, this is a city that celebrates everything. So you may, may as well. Past is a present thread in everything we do. Yeah. Unlike some places that are just whatever the latest thing is. Yeah. No, we're not. We 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 bring it. In, in other words, I could I would be stretching it a bit, but we don't have a past pass. We have a past, but we don't have a past because we continue bringing it forward with us. You know, it becomes our present. And, and, and as the days go by, it's going to always be present with us. But we don't. The, 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 I think the, the optimum thing for me to say is we don't have a pity party. You know, like yeah. some cities is woe is me and this, that. No, New Orleans is not a woe is me city. When I was being interviewed right after Katrina, they couldn't understand that I wasn't sitting there bawling and crying and, and having a, a self-pity. No, I, there's no time for that. I, I, it t Katrina taught me one thing. Things is just stuff. And I've never been one of these uh, materialistic people, so it was easy for me to get past that. But they couldn't understand why I wanted to come back to New Orleans. Why you want to move back there? I said, well, why not? It's home. And home is the optimum word with me. It's home. It's where I, I grew up. It's where I got my formation of me, who I am. My character came out of New Orleans. Why not want to go home? I mean, if they would think about what they're asking, they would think about, well, home. Yeah, I understand home because they're home. They want to be home. So this is what New Orleans yeah, is I, about. I was going to say, I think that since Katrina yeah. and there's been flooding up in oh, the Midwest yes. and Sandy <laughs> and Sandy. Now they understand they because yes. there are a lot of people who wanted to let us just wash away mm -hmm. to sea. Mm -hmm. And um, they just didn't understand whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But how do you feel about all the festivals that we have? <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. I think it's I think it's apropos. Uh, and like I said, the only festival we haven't come up with is one called a headache. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in celebrating and, and every festival that they can come up with. There's some more musicians who are going to get a job, you know, and, and, and cooks and, and, and people who put these things together, craftsmen and what have you. There's jobs available. I mean, so anytime you can come up with another festival, yeah, go for it. 
because other people will get employed. It's, it's great economically for the, for the city to come up with all these festivals. And I think a lot of other parts of Louisiana are coming up with some festivals of their own because they see that people need this. They need this for therapy, for lack of a better word. I mean, yeah. it's great therapy to be able to get out of here once in a while and celebrate something that's not a problem to you at that time. Yeah. Give you a, a Every, walk everything, your problems. Everything from poor boys to <laughs> macaroni and yes, cheese. Yes, yes. <laughs> That one kills me. That one is really, or or French fried potatoes. Is yes, somebody doing they've French come fried up with potatoes? All kinds. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about motherhood for a minute, and I don't want to get too personal here, but okay. Um, okay. Ha, ha, um, you know, being being a mother is is uh, um, complicated. <laughs> Very complicated. <laughs> and um, I especially am in total awe of mothers who have full-on careers work like a dog and then <laughs> deal with their kids. I want to know, uh, how would you describe the highlights of, of being a mother and um, what it was like when you brought your, your kids up? Well, I, do, I did the very opposite of what a lot of people tell you as a mother you should or should not do. I, uh, I would tell my kids that I'm going to work, and this is what you have to do while I'm at work. And they did it. And so they had some experiences of growing up being a young adult as opposed to being a child. When I was traveling, I, I did things that if they would have known I had done it, I probably wouldn't have my kids with me today. I left my oldest child in charge of the younger ones. And I would call them. We didn't have cell phones back then, but they had pay phones. So I would give them calls every day, check in with them. I would send them money for their school to, to you know, lunches and whatever. They were traveling this on tour. I was traveling on tour. And so it worked. And as they grew up, they were, they were more self-sufficient than their friends because their friends had been sheltered, you know, by their parents and not having given any responsibility. I gave my children early responsibilities in life. And so when they grew up, they were not in awe of other singers because to them it was just work. I never told them, well, your mama going to be a star for a hot minute. No, your mama going to work because it is work for me. It was work then because it was a way for me to take care of my family. I wasn't married. I was separated, divorced, and I had four children to take care of. So it was work. And I held down two jobs. I held down my singing job, and I held down a, a regular job. A day and job. A day job, yeah. Right, yeah. And so, yeah, they, 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 don't, they don't get excited about entertainers because they've been around them all their lives. And they understand that it is a job and that they are human. They have aches and pains and days of sorrows and regrets and make mistakes just like anybody else. <laughs> what would you say were the key lessons that you uh, offered and shared with your kids that you know they embraced? I, uh, I taught them to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Don't mistreat someone or talk about somebody unless you're willing to be accepted to, accept it to be done to you. Uh, you can say things that can be very hurtful to a person, and you can't take words back. Once it's out of your mouth, it's gone. It has done the damage. So I always tell them to think before you speak. And I got that from, believe it or not, from a store when we were traveling on the road. They used to have these little stores called Stuckies. <laughs> and they would have you could go in and buy these little placards and all kinds of little souvenirs and there was this one placard that said put your brain in motion before you put your mouth in gear that's a, that's a great quote 
And so this is what I use to talk to my kids and how to treat others. So they grew up knowing that, you know, you don't go out bragging about something, you know, just because you have a little bit more than somebody else, you don't brag about it. You try to help that person as much as you can and talk to them and be friends with them. And if they don't want to be your friend, so be it. You've done what you're supposed to do. What... uh Let's 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 make sure we tell everybody what the details are on the performance on Mother's uh, uh, Sunday. So tell me the where and the what time and what if there's a charge. How does that all work? Well, mothers get in free on Mother's Day. All right, all right. <laughs> and they've been doing it that way. This will be 36 years this Mother's Day that mothers have gotten in free. Of course, children is the price of kids is, is less than than the price of the dads. But the main thing is that you bring mother and the family. Family, you come out and you celebrate, and with me and and I I don't I don't call it a show show. We just have a big giant party, and there there are food vendors there, and I go on approximately around two o'clock in the afternoon. So, I want folk to come out and bring their party party atmosphere and mindset with them because I am a human being and there are songs I don't remember I used to do and I have my cheat iPad with me. (laughs) (laughs) But I've always allowed my audiences to make requests and, uh, you know, heaven forbid the rain, we, we will have a party Mother's Day and Mother's Day will be as typical as I can make it. Well, your typical is not typical. It is Irma Thomas, and there's this nothing like it in the universe. And from what I understand, you were a big hit at the fairgrounds again for both your old fans and your new fans. And, and Irma, of course, I enjoyed so much. Uh, and and um, I, I didn't have time to dig out that little tape I have of you and Aaron from the show that we did at the oh, Dewdrop the at the CAC. But I have yeah. it, and one of these days I'll pull it out wow. and and uh, play it for you because that was one of the my favorite things that I ever did in my well, life. If you pull it out, please make a copy. I think Aaron and I both would appreciate that because that's the that was the first time we got Aaron Neville in a tuxedo. He wore a white tuxedo and I wore a white uh, cold shoulder dress and we sung at the CAC and he looked at me and he says, only you would be able to get me in a tuxedo. I said, yeah, but you're in it, aren't you? (laughs) And we we enjoyed it. We really had a wonderful time. It was a beautiful event. It really was. And um, I think there's going to be another beautiful event on Sunday at the Audubon Zoo, Mother's Free, children, low children prices, and dads have to pay. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I'm thinking they're going to eventually come up with something for Father's Day, but right now they're concentrating on you know, trying to make moms happy. A happy mom is a happy dad. <laughs> there you go. And a happy family and a happy city. Irma Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today. Bye bye. You're welcome. <laughs> This is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations coming to an end on WBOK, and I will visit with you again next week.